With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. This is your Monday Buckeye Talk, and we're talking big picture stuff. We're going to look at all the things in college football that have happened over really the last decade, but you're talking college football playoffs, talking NIL. Uh, transfer portal, the early signing period, everything crazy about college football that has come to light over the past 10 years. And we're going to be college football czars. We're going to be commissioners. In this world, college football has broken off and it's its own thing. And each and every one of us has been put in charge of managing this crazy world that is college football. And so we're all going to pick the three things we would change about college football. So that's nine things total, but the three, th- three things we would change about college football if we were put in charge of the sport. Nathan, we're going to start with you. What's the first thing you would change if someone called you right now and said, hey, college football is breaking off and we're putting you in charge of this thing. You can do whatever you want to it. I'm trying to decide if I need to start with like the things I care the most about or the ones that I try as maybe reaching for on my list. So maybe we'll save the one I was reaching for because I don't feel as strongly about it. I- I'm going to start with one that I think helps fans the most and it is doing something about the commercials the incessant commercials the fact that it feels like games are stretched out forever and ever and ever by the commercials they put in new rules last year to supposedly speed up the game but all it really did was shorten the amount of football being played in exchange for the commercials and Frankly, this is where I feel like the, uh, the conferences have not put their foot down enough. You know, Gene Smith has been very upfront about over the years some of the choices that they've made or some of the things that they have either backed or shown some resistance on have taken into account, you know, like how, how many of their games are going to be on streaming, things like that. It takes into account their fan base and how many people have access to that. And yes, you have to make some concession, but you can't go all the way. But as, and I'm not blaming Gene Smith specifically for this. Again, I think it's more of a conference-wide thing. But as, yes, the the media rights deals have gotten bigger. They have gotten something in exchange for the things they've given away in, in terms of expansion and travel and all those things. 
But I think this is something that could have been negotiated down, should have been negotiated down, something they maybe should have put their foot down about. And frankly, maybe give them back a little bit of money in order to get a better experience, because there does come a point like uh, as people may know, like I'm a I'm a big baseball fan. Like I, I, I fell in love with baseball as a kid. That's like my number one sport that I've followed since I was a, a young one. And it like it fostered my love of sports that grew into to other things. And baseball was very slow to figure out that it had a bad product, that its product was slow and with too many interruptions. And it finally started this past year implementing rules that sped things back up and it made it a better product. And I, in the case of college football, I think they, I think I still defend some of the changes that they made that sped the game up, but you got to do something about these commercials because it does make for a very laborious product to try to watch a game sometimes. And there's no reason a game that is lopsided, especially should be getting drawn out longer than it needs to like get these things over with these buy games, whatever, like get them, get them done. You're not reducing the amount of football that's played anymore, but let's, let's pull, let's trim the commercials down and, um, and, and, and bring some sanity to this. That is not where I thought you were going first on that at all, but I love it. I think it's hard because it's the thing that make you got to make money, right? This is about advertising money and all that stuff, but you can adapt some of the stuff I see in the NBA a lot. When I watch games, instead of going to commercial, sometimes they'll just put like the yep. picture in the picture. So it's a commercial there, but you're still watching the thing. And I think you got to find a way to adapt to this because this idea, Andrew, of kickoff, uh, kickoff, Commercial plays, commercials, touchdown, commercial, field goal, commercial, kickoff, commercial, timeout, commercial, 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 commercial. You're going to drive people away from your sport. Yeah, I, this was fourth on my list. I very much tried to include this. I just couldn't over the other three things that I had. Um, quick story. I went to a Virginia Tech football game in 2021, and... Blacksburg is a great place to watch a football game. I don't know if any Ohio State fans listening to this were down there in 2015 for that game. Um, it's a great enter Sandman's awesome. Virginia Tech is kind of like spiritually Nebraska when when it comes to like their fan base, where it's like a fan base that genuinely really cares. They're just not as good as they were in the 2000s because they don't have Tyrod Taylor and Frank Beamer and everybody. And I sat in the upper deck and my phone was a dead spot. And my phone was gone. You and, and you know this if you go to a college football game, especially in a place that's not Columbus or not wherever. And I remember trying to look at my phone because Alabama was playing Texas A&M that night. And that was the night Texas A&M beat Alabama. And I had no service. And I think that that is the part of this that goes kind of unnoticed. It's, it's a bad product for the people at home because you have to keep flipping the channel and you have to keep doing that, but you can still do that. If you have Ohio State on, or even just not a team that you care about, if you're watching a random football game, you can flip the channel for three minutes and find another game to watch a couple plays of and then go back. When you're at a game and you don't have service, you're standing around. You're not doing anything. Like, you know, let's say you go to a, a, you know, I'm trying to think of a game where service can be tough. 
you know, a place and no disrespect, but a place like Bloomington, Indiana, where it's not Columbus in terms of city size and the amount of people and the infrastructure is not there to host millions of people. And if you're sitting there and your service goes out, you watch Ohio State go down the field, score a touchdown and then, all right, yay, they scored. Hooray. Then you're standing around talking to your friends for two and a half minutes as there's a commercial. And then there's a kickoff. And then you're standing around for another two and a half minutes. And then Indiana goes three and out. And then there's another commercial. And it's like, what are you supposed to do? So it's the commercial point is great because it's a terrible product on television. But it's worse in person. And I think that people got to understand that. That was a beautiful first one. I didn't think that's where we were going to start with this, but for yeah, the sake of the call. fan base, for the sake of the viewership, it probably needed to be included because there there does come a point where you're going to turn people off unless you just put everything on streaming. And you also might turn people off because now you're asking people to pay for your product. They got to figure this out. They got to figure out a way to still allow this sport to be watched by fans and still be enjoyed by fans without feeling like they're looking at 35 million billboards every time they turn the TV on. I'm a little late to this, frankly, because when this when they came out with the new rules last year, I kind of said, hey, you know, I kind of this makes sense to me. And then very quickly, a lot of fans sent back like on our texts were like, hey, like, you know, this is actually not going to actually decrease the time of the game. Like they're not going to mm-hmm. change the amount of commercials. They're probably even going to increase the amount of commercials. And then what's going to happen? And, and frankly, that's one where I don't watch games very often the same way a fan does in that when I'm watching Ohio state games back, I'm not watching the commercials. I'm zipping through the commercials or I'm Mm -hmm. sometimes even watching one of the condensed versions where I can, I can zip through play by, you know what I mean? So, and then because so much of my week is spent watching, rewatching Ohio state, I don't really watch a lot of college football games for as a, as a casual follower, you know, until the postseason, and even during the regular season, when I do, you know, we'll get it. We'll have a noon game, and I'll come home and watch a late game or whatever. I'm usually working while that game's going on in the background. I don't. It, the, the interest mm-hmm. is the same. So I, this is one where I had to, I had to correct my vision a little bit and put myself in the fans' shoes. And I think they make a really good point that if they're already saying it, I mean, people who follow the most watched team in the country, a fan, a rabid fan base that will watch every millisecond of anything Ohio State related is saying this this is too much this is too long then I think the the sport needs to to wake up and take notice I didn't really notice it until to your point because you're probably doing a million other things if you're watching a game on television as well the Cotton Bowl was the first time I actually watched a football game live as a consumer where like I'm literally just watching the football game. I'm not I'm working, but it's a different type of work because the, the work is the thing that's on the television and not like in front of me. So and that's when I noticed it. And it was like, man, we had a commercial for three minutes here, man. Let's get back to the football in this situation. So great first pick, Nathan Bear. Great first pick. Andrew, we'll let you go second. What was the number one thing on your list that you would change if you had to take over college football right now? Yeah, I so I kind of did what Nathan said, and I kind of saved my two heavy hitters for second and third. Um, you got to fix the calendar. You've got to fix the recruiting, the just the calendar of college football. You've got to fix it all. I am getting ADs and conference commissioners and football coaches in a room, and I am locking the door, 
and handing the key to a guard and saying, do not let us out until we figure this out. You've got to figure something out because we've talked about this before. Early signing day happened this year on, I believe, like December 20th. And had the 12 team playoff been this year, there would have been games, home games on that Friday for some programs. So what you're saying is that some programs are going to have to have their national signing day on Wednesday, which we saw Ryan Day pretend to pass out when Jeremiah Smith signed and maybe he wasn't pretending as much as we think and you have to make coaches do that and then turn around and now they have to go play a football game that decides their season maybe decides their careers that's crazy you there there's so much wrong with i think the way that college football releases news too like i think the nfl is a great kind of model for this the nfl has a variation of something every month. August, they do the Hall of Fame ceremony in the preseason. And then September through January, they have the playoffs, Super Bowls in February, end of the month, combine, which is kind of a college football thing. March, free agency. April, the draft. They've turned the schedule release into a week-long television show. Like, the NFL is masters at doing this 12 months a year. Maybe 11 months a year if you kind of leave June out. Because in July, they're starting training camp. So you have got to figure out a way to make this a more 12-month sport in a more even fashion. Because it's a 12-month sport because it's crazy and it never stops. But you've got to find a way to make the transfer portal window work. You've got to find a way to make the recruiting calendar work. You've got to find a way to have the Big Ten Network say, hey guys, on February 10th, when there's nothing going on, this is the day where we release the times of the teams that Ohio State's going to play. And this is the day that we release, hey, Ohio State's going to play Penn State on X day. You know, like you've got to find something to keep the interest going throughout the year. It's what the NFL does excellently. They're wonderful at it. And I think college football could learn something from that. You, you've got to fix it and you've got to make it so the stress and the craziness just isn't all clumped together. You've got to even it out. I think it would make people's lives a heck of a lot easier. So you, you've got to fix the calendar. Nathan, I think this one is is difficult because he's right. you got to fix the calendar. but And you brought up the NFL in this conversation too, Andrew. But the, the, the fundamental difference is right. these guys are still student athletes. <laughs> yeah. Like they're still in school. So there's some of this that has to be built around the academic part of this, which is, I think, hilarious at times that we're still like, student athletes, the student comes first. That's that's not where we're at with this. The money comes first. Let's be real here. So I do agree with the the recruiting calendar part of this in terms of signing days. It's, But also I pushed back on it when I was thinking about that in my own list because the teams who are going to be complaining about the fact that, hey, we're trying to fit all this into the same week are the same teams who have already been trying to fit it into the same week. Cause they've probably been preparing to play in a big 10 championship game and they get these players anyway. So it's almost like it's a first world problem for, in terms of the teams who are really going to be impacted by the fact that there's an early signing period. But with that being said, my solution to this, cause this was on my list as well, fixing the recruiting calendar. I said, you should put a, you should have the early signing period. First of all, three months is not an early signing period. 
there should be an early signing period right before the season. Yep. So you sign in August or you sign in February. They're six, they're almost they're six months apart, and that's your window on those situations. So that way that a kid is locked in. Now, if something changes, obviously like a coaching in a head coach leaves or whatnot, then all those reasons that you would let a kid out of his NLI, you continue to do that. But they're six months apart. And so that way September through December can just be about football and not necessarily have to be about all that takes one thing of like the 7 million things happening in December and January off the table. Yeah, this, this was definitely on my list. Um, And I, I think that's the most common sense solution because the thing that has made this, so it was one thing when it was just signing day and the postseason. it's the transfer portal on top of that where you have to re-recruit your own roster sometimes, or a good chunk of it, and then also be recruiting out of the portal at the same time you're still finishing your high school class at the same time. And now, in the past, some of this has been a little bit condensed around just a few teams. It's been worse for those teams that are playing for conference championships and are going to postseason, to playoff games, or maybe New Year's Six Bowls. When it's I'll take someone from my past, Purdue, and you're going to the Music City Bowl or whatever. It doesn't really matter which players you take down there, frankly. It, we'll get to that in a second, a later thing that I have on here. But it doesn't really matter. It, 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 I don't think those teams – those teams still feel the crunch, but it's not nearly as urgent as what is going on with these other programs. But the number of programs that this is going to influence is about to expand. It's about to be 12 teams every year that have to go through this. So. I think you're right. The most common sense solution is to forget about, like, yes, there should still be an early signing period. There should still be two signing periods. But you're right, Stephen. Like, having one in December and having one in February doesn't make sense with where the sport is right now. You've got to move that first signing period out of the season. You do still have to tie everything to the academic calendar, especially the transfer portal. The transfer portal is immovable. The postseason is immovable. The signing period is a thousand percent movable. There, I, I wouldn't even, I don't even know where to begin with the argument that you have to keep it in December. It makes so much more sense to me because, frankly, a lot of a lot of your work is done by then anyway. Like, how many how many commitments does Ohio? We have to go back and look. Like, how many commitments do they get from the beginning of August to signing day? A lot of the work for your class is done usually by the end of the summer, or just at least. It, it maybe it speeds up the process and maybe it brings a little bit more sanity things. I'm not saying that kids need to be like forced into their decision, but there would also still be protections built into this. If you sign in the early period and there's a coaching change with the program that you're about to go to, you get to back out of your LOI, like automatically, like that should be written. That should be codified, which it already is like there's uh, some of these protections are already built in. So it's, it's time. Like it's, it's, well past time it's long past time to to make this change because uh, there's a lot of things where i don't necessarily feel that bad for college coaches about like oh you you're having a, a rough time making x million dollars for for this thing like this is why you're getting the x million dollars but there is a point here where i look at ryan day and i'm like how do you possibly you go straight from the game to potentially the big 10 championship game to signing day and the transfer portal both happening at the same time and preparing for playoff games or New Year's six games. Like it's, that is a little bit insane. And 
you're at some point you are probably devaluing it's it's going to show up on the product on the field to some extent so why not make this it's 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 not good for the athletes either are you really giving the athletes the attention they deserve at that crucial point of the calendar so it's it's time to move it move it back to july or august you're right it is steven you made a good point and i know other people have made it that just get it six months apart have it truly be early make it make it make it it's early you're calling it early for a reason and more than that it goes to the point that i said one of the things the nfl does outstanding is they have a market event for everything and early signing day does kind of get in the wash a little bit. You got bowl games. You're going to have playoff games. You got to figure out it is the holiday season. Like people are just generally busier. Put it at the end of July. And all of a sudden you're going to have a little bit of a marketing event. Like, hey, look, we can kick off our season and we're going to be feeling great going into the season because we just signed 12 players in the early signing period. And we're feeling great about it. And I think to your point, it not punishes the athletes, but If a kid is ready to commit to Purdue or Maryland or Ohio State or Texas or Notre Dame, why are you why are you making them wait? Like if a kid's if a kid commits like the the commits that Ohio State has in their 2025 class now, you think of a kid like Eli Lee and like Tavian St. Clair, like in-state kids. Why? Why are we punishing them? Like, why are we holding them back from just saying, you know what? I'm done. I'm committed. I'm not going in. I'm committing to Ohio State. Just let them do it. If they're if they're ready, let them do it. By the way, Ryan Day didn't used to really feel this strongly about it. When he was asked about no. it before, he was like, "Well, if you move it to mm-hmm. the summer, all you're doing is making the summer a big production, which is true." But I think, I think he's come around a little bit on this because December is just so it's just a nuclear bomb going off every day around that place, and they're not alone. Like it, it, you need to even this is one where it, even what I was saying before about the number of teams that it really affects. This is widespread across college football where coaches are saying we've got to do something about this. And I, I would imagine that there's going to be a proposal soon that would bring some sanity to this because it just isn't this isn't the right. This isn't good for anybody. Except maybe like Hayes Fawcett. That's it. Yeah, he's the only person that's benefiting from this. But even like the Ryan Day, it's going to be a big spectacle. Everything in college football is a big spectacle. So if the that can't be part of the equation here. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, it's a good thing. That's viewership. That's interest. That gives people a reason to be interested in what you're doing in August outside of like, Who's the well, backup center? Like you can't. That's the point here. That's the to the Andrew's point with the NFL. The NFL for twelve months is constantly finding a way to get people to care about the NFL. Every month, there's something going on that makes you care. This is how you do this in college football, while also trying to work around the fact that these are still college students who are all taking classes and whatnot. Just had an idea. Just had an epiphany. So you get to have this thing in early August before preseason camp starts, and. Right now, one of the other things that happens with signing day, we saw it this year with Ryan Day, where it's very much just like they squeeze in this media availability that is happening in the middle of everything else, and it ends up getting right. drawn out because he has to like leave the room and go do calls and stuff. Like mm-hmm. a cool, how about this? Like you have an event at Cavelli or St. John or maybe even Value City. Maybe it's that big. Um, I don't think you'd have to have it outdoors, but because you're gonna be doing it during like working hours. But have an event. People pay X amount of dollars to get in, go straight to one of the collectives or both of them, whatever, however you want to do it, and to, to fund NIL. And like every time a 
fax comes in or however they send in their signature these days, you go up, you say, oh, we got another Buckeye. And Ryan Day goes up and is like, let me tell you about Jeremiah Smith. And he goes up and he goes up and tells, says in front of everybody, goes on these spiels. When I covered, I'll bring this up again, Purdue, one year I covered football as like the main beat writer. They had an event for signing day where they had like every assistant coach come in and talk about the players that their position had signed. And it was fantastic. You got to learn a lot about these guys. And, but I believe that was for the February, still back during the February period for the December period. There just isn't that kind of time really for that sort of attention to detail. But here's another, like you were kind of alluding to Andrew, like here's a way that schools could use it to their benefit to make it a big production, uh, they, they sort of already kind of do, but I think it says something. It also says something. And people, I think, know this. Ohio State was very close to just doing a Zoom for its signing day press conference. Mm-hmm. Nothing in person. And that would have been my biggest argument. I actually, from a, from a media standpoint, from a reporting standpoint, I didn't have super strong objections to it. I, I prefer it to be in person. I thought it was a disaster from Ohio State's standpoint because you're taking this day of celebration and making it very subdued. And then especially if things don't go your way on a couple of those decisions, then it looks like you're trying to hide something. And you've got to be out front, like really championing this, your team. And I think that moving it to August and and they could turn it into a, a, a revenue thing for NIL and they could more importantly turn it into a big like preseason hype thing and, and and get people even more excited about their team going into the season. You know what gets people excited about their team and aka spending money? When you sign 11 players and four of them are five stars and three of them are four stars going into the going into the cycle and you're like, "Whoa, maybe we're building something here." That's what gets people excited. Yeah. Yeah, so I agree. So now I'm going to go and Andrew stole the one I was going to go with first, so I'll pivot here and, and, and change to this one. If I were the czar of college football and I could change anything about college football, I would move up rivalry games. I would move them up 100% because that's a lot of crazy, crazy important football that's happening at the end of the year. Because it's the last week of the season is essentially rivalry week. I know the Ohio State-Michigan game is that week, but I'm, of the other rivalry game that's major, except for USC and UCLA, are during that week as, as well. I would move those up, and I would make it this big deal that it's like in smack dab the middle of the season that you're playing these rivalry games, and it's whether it's you know Ohio State-Michigan – uh, Florida, Florida State, Clemson, South Carolina, Texas, Oklahoma. Well, Texas and Oklahoma isn't at the end of the year either. But so Texas, Oklahoma, USC, UCLA are the only ones. But I would put that in the middle of the year. And it would be like almost this checkpoint middle of the year thing of you played five games and it was this big lead up into your rivalry week. And then the second half of the season is this big lead up into the college football playoff. I just think it would make – it would just give you – Check, it, it would break up some of the monotonous that is college football at times, especially when you look at schedules like Ohio State, where it you could have you have these stretches where you're not necessarily playing games that are that interesting because you know a team is going to win by four touchdowns in most situations or three or four touchdowns. It would put this really important thing right there in the middle of the season. I almost likened it to how the NBA now has the the uh, in season tournament 
It's like this thing in the middle that's like, hey, there's this new exciting thing happening in the middle of the season. It's not as important as the thing at the end of the season, but it still allows it to be its big and its own thing. Nathan, what do you think of that idea of moving all rivalry weeks to just week six of the regular season? It's astonishingly bad. It's the worst idea I've heard in a long, long time. I, I don't understand any of the points you just made. Um, the idea that like moving the Michigan game to the middle of the season and then when Ohio State plays Purdue or Rutgers or Indiana after that, which is already going to be a meaningless game, that, that doesn't make that worse. That makes that worse. Like At least if it comes before the Michigan game, you can use it in some way to say, well, this is what this could mean for matchups in the Michigan game. Like You're making those games even more meaningless, putting them after a game like that. Like That's what we're really talking about here. Because there are, there are some conference games, some some rivalries that don't get played at the end of the year. You know, um, I get, which one? Like Red Red River, I think, is not at the, in, the end of the season. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some other big rivalry games that don't come at the very end of the season. But especially with us about to go to a 12-team playoff and a new Big Ten format, I guess suppose that would – that's maybe the one argument that you would make that you just don't want a repeat in the conference championship game, but that is so dependent on how good those teams are any given year. And if you move Ohio state, Michigan, to mid season, and instead put Ohio state USC at the last game of the year, by luck of the draw, well, those two teams could play again in the next week. It's only been in these last couple of years where Michigan has risen to the point where it became a guaranteed thing that those teams are going to rematch. Uh, I see literally no benefit to this and only downside. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to quote uh, a wonderful movie in Billy Madison here. Uh, Mr. Means, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you, any, were you even close to anything that, considered, that, could be, that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone listening to this podcast is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, no, that's horrible. Because who is that? Wait, wait, wait. Who said that? Billy Madison. Have you ever seen Billy Madison? Billy didn't say uh, it. His, Billy his didn't the, the say proctor, the proctor the of the yeah. the big uh, yeah face off like, between him and Brad Whitford, the academic it. octathlon at the end of the movie. I have yeah. no idea who that is. Oh, at sweet all. Jesus, me. You've never oh, seen the movie man. Billy Madison? No, I don't even. Adam know what Sandler. That is. Stop. Oh. All right. Stop the podcast. That. Take an hour and a half. Go watch Billy Madison and then no, come watch it no, after. I'm, I'm not, not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But I don't I don't watch a lot of Adam Sandler movies. So, no, okay. I haven't seen um, that movie. Very good movie. I love that movie. But anyway, I think that's terrible for a lot of different reasons. Uh, number one, and, and I'm trying not to step on my future answers, but I think one of the things that we're losing in college football just kind of generally is kind of the tradition and the history of it all. And I don't want to lose another thing. I'm, I want to hold on to some of these kind of traditional, more historical things that kind of make college football unique compared to the NFL. You know, I, I don't like the NFLification, if you will, of college football. And I know it's funny. I just made that point. Like, look at what the NFL does. Why can't college football do something similar? Yeah, but you're doing things that are unique to college football that kind of take up the calendar. And to Nathan's point, what happens if Oregon is 12 and 0 and Ohio State and Michigan enter at 10 and 1 and the winners go into the Big Ten championship game? Like you can still have a scenario like that where hey, look, you still have these big-time rivalry games because I think ending the season with such a unique 
and such a cool and such a momentous, this is what we've been building to all year is what really makes this sort special. And one of the things that I look to is, okay, so let's say you move Ohio State, Michigan to week six, and let's say you move Alabama, Auburn to week six, and let's say you move insert rivalry game here. Are we going to end the year with Ohio State, Purdue? Like, are we are we going to end? Why the are year? we acting like there's not going to be college football games that are very important played right after? There that? are, there are. So, but, like this idea, are we going to end the year playing bad teams? We can still use all that same logic of like, oh, because yeah, okay, yeah, we use those games before. It's like, oh, what does it mean for the Michigan game? Well, we can use that same logic for, oh, what does this mean for a playoff game? Of you course, act like we're just going to like what? not watch football anymore. No, so this idea the, what, of like ending the year playing a bad team is not crazy. I want to hear more about what harm you think is being caused right now by conference championships being in week by, by by these by these rivalry games being in week twelve. Explain to me more about why that's detracting from college football. I think it's maybe more of a Big Ten issue than anywhere else, but it's just because of the fact that it, the, the top two teams in the Big Ten the past three years have not played in the Big Ten championship game because of how these divisions are. But if they didn't have divisions, you'd be playing that game back to back times. And how many other conferences deal with that issue as well? Where if you have if your if your rival is also the other best team in your conference, do you want to play that game two times in a row? So why not just get rid of the potential problem before it's a problem? But again, that argument is eliminated by the fact that whatever team you substitute in for the rival could also be the team that you end up playing this the very next week. Yeah, because you'd have to the, almost you'd have to go to a scenario where everybody is playing in the Big Ten is playing is doing what the SEC does before its rivalry games and playing like Samford or whatever in week 12 to ensure I don't that see there the will SEC be no, teams complaining about that. What if like what? It, Either. And, I don't I don't know. Well, but, 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 but they still play the rivalry games in week 12. Right. So what if you didn't play the rivalry game in week 12, but you played like that Sanford team in week 12? But if the if the worry is I see, I disagree with that first off. But if the worry is. Well, why are we saying that you know it has to be a bad game? Like, what if Ohio? Like, what if Matt? Like, what if Matt Rule takes Nebraska to a level where it's really high level, and then all of a sudden Ohio State Nebraska end the year, and that's the Big Ten championship game, and this whole thing that you were trying to avoid of a rematch in the Big Ten championship game happens because you tried to move the Michigan game, and now all of a sudden you've taken away the Ohio State Michigan game from the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And now all of a sudden it's a Ohio State Nebraska game, which could be a preview of the Big Ten Championship game seven days later. Like well, like you could also still have those scenarios whether you move the rivalry game or not. I just I don't I don't know what we're losing by having the conference by having these rivalry games at the end of the season. It's the the, the tradition, the the year long build to these, like yes, Ohio State and Michigan would have rematched in the last couple of years. Not something that would have happened continuously throughout the you know past ever since they went to the divisional format it's not something that would have repeated so not since they've had a big team championship game it's not like it's not like this would have repeated over and over again it's been a recent phenomenon and what you whatever you whatever that detracts um you gain so much i think by just having this the history of this and the way that 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 final weekend brings so much to the, the fans of both programs and, and 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 how much is built into that and the the twelve team playoff is about to uh, um, reduce the uh, whatever ill yeah. effects there are of the rematch anyway um, 
that you know it, it's not going to be as it, the finality isn't going to be there anyway. So even within the Big Ten, if you were making this just a Big Ten thing, I, I just don't see the 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 harm here, and I think of it more from the aspect of yes, okay, Ohio State, Michigan, but then you look across to um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Iowa, Nebraska, or Illinois, Purdue. Like, there's a bunch of other great rivalries within the Big Ten that close on that last weekend that usually won't ever be involved in the Big Ten championship game, but they are they are celebrated, and you get to make it a spectacle at the end of the season in a, a really fun and important way. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't agree that there's basically any harm to having conference, to having rivalry games in week 12 or 13 as 14, whatever, yeah. whatever week happens to be the last week. Okay. That's fine. I'll throw something out there. You guys don't agree with it. It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We're going to take a quick break there. And then we're going to continue this conversation after the break where I'm going to call something stupid just because my feelings are hurt. Even if it's the greatest <laughs> idea on the planet, but that's because I can do that. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back here and get into more of this home talk. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at Hyperice.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get the text 614-350-3315 if you feel like Nathan and Andrew after hearing my first idea. Then you should get the text, sign up. It's a two-week free trial, $3.99 after that. You can tell me I'm stupid, too. You got you won't hurt my feelings if you call me stupid. I'm not calling you stupid. Texters. Just that your I'm idea that, was stupid. I'm talking, I'm talking to the texters right now. I'm talking <laughs> to the texters. I'm not talking to you two. I'll get back to you two in a second. Get a text 614-350-3315. You guys call me stupid. I love you guys. These guys, eh, I just happen to work with them. Nathan, what's your second idea? What was something you would change about college football if you were put in charge? Well, two of mine were already taken, the the commercial breaks and then the calendar. So mm. my, my third thing was that the lesser bowls, so not the, not the playoff bowls and not the New Year's Six Bowls, which now are also kind of the same thing. So this may be applied to every non-playoff bowl going forward. The The those bowls need to be the exception to the pay-for-play NIL prohibition. Those bowls need to absolutely be pay-for-play. Those bowls should absolutely be able to entice guys who would otherwise be opting out with money to play in those games. Because otherwise, they're becoming... That's one of the things that's making those bowls less and less and less relevant. I already frankly don't care about most of them i the this past season went by you know two years ago doug did that i guess he did it this year with his new show did the 
uh, pick them thing for the bowl games. So I kind of paid attention that year. This year, I wasn't in that. He didn't obviously wasn't here to do it, and I didn't get in theirs. And I did not care about any of those lesser bowls. They mean nothing. I think they mean nothing to most casual fans across the country. And one of the reasons is that even if there is an interesting team sometimes, you're like, oh, it'd be really interesting to watch so-and-so play against so-and-so. Um, they're both opting out because there is absolutely nothing to gain and everything to lose for them to play in those games. So I think that teams should, bowls, bowls, and their and or their TV partners, the money should not come from the teams or the teams cut that they're getting from these and the leagues that are getting these from the proceeds from these bowls. It should come from the bowl sponsor or it should come from the TV um, affiliate or the, the broadcast partner. They should be able to compensate star players, maybe all players, but star players to play in the game. Now, is that going to maybe cause problems when the backup left tackle gets nothing, but the uh, wide receiver who's opting out uh, takes an NIL deal to play in the game? Okay, I guess it might, but the game is irrelevant. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the left tackle shows up to that game at all, whereas the wide receiver showing up would help. And it would make more college football games relevant in the bowl season. Right now, a lot of those bowl games, when they're already between teams that are mediocre, you got a seven and five team against a eight and four team that played a week schedule, and now the best players from both those teams are opting out. Why is that game being played? I think you've got to give people a reason to have a broader, especially now that those games are going to be further drowned out by the 12 team playoff. What do you think, Andrew? I don't hate that idea. Um, I do want to sit like, I understand that saying they don't matter to college football fans. Like, and, and I get it. Uh, people do watch them. Like the television ratings back that up. I was go I was frantically trying to Google like ratings for, for this as you were talking. Um, but, and I haven't been able to find anything yet, but the Myrtle beach bowl between Ohio and coastal Carolina, which kicked off bowl season and started at 11 a.m. on like a Saturday, like I think the Saturday, like the week after the Heisman, like people watch that, like like millions of people tune in for some of these games. So there is, I think, a market for them. But I and I so I, I don't know if it's, you know, the elimination of it or whatever. But I, I do agree for this pay for play thing where, man, it's Kellogg's Kellogg's can it's like the Kellogg's Pop-Tart Bowl can can pay for, you know, can pay for some kids to play in a game rather than give them the goodie bag that some of these kids get, which include like, you know, just some kind of crazy stuff and like the edible pop. Yeah, don't eat the edible Pop-Tart after the mascot. Maybe don't spend money on that. Actually, you know what? I take that back. Strike that from the record. Keep spending money on that, but spend money on the players too. Like, like those are the games that I think People actually do watch and people actually do care. And whether that's betting, whether that's interest in footballs on my TV, I want to watch it. I don't know, but people do watch it. And I, and I do think that there, you know, there should be some world in which they, they continue to exist. I understand what you're saying, but, but to the point of why are these games getting played? I don't think that like Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't play in the Cotton Bowl. Denzel Ward didn't play in the Cotton Bowl. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, Haskell Garrett, Nicholas Petit Frere didn't play in the Rose Bowl. But, and yeah, those are some key players, but there's also like 80 other dudes on the roster who are interesting, who are probably excited about playing in that football game. It's a big deal that Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't play in the Cotton Bowl. 
he's not the reason why the Ohio State looks so bad in the Cotton Bowl. Even if he would have played, no. they probably would have looked. No, no, and I, that's not I, I, that's not what I'm using the pushback for. I'm just saying that some of this is just because like these are still college kids who are getting the chance to experience something and want to go out there and play football. And I think sometimes that should be allowed to be enough. Right, but first round picks aren't going to be the ones taking advantage of this. Is the other point like? All those people you mentioned would not have played in those bowl games, even if they were pay for play. Because I don't think what right. it's, what a what a bowl sponsor or TV partner could offer for one game would be worth the risk. It it just wouldn't. What I'm thinking of is there are guys farther down the list who might be opting out of these games, who are opting out of these games, and just to be able to to give them that option, like maybe they would play if you could guarantee them something up front, and. You can guarantee them. Now, there, there is there are some other things that offset this. They, you know, players can get um, long term injury insurance and stuff. I was talking to an NIL agent about mm-hmm. this last week, and it's something that the teams can help set them up with. So, like those things are on the table too. But again, still for for players at the very at the first round level, those guys are probably still opting out. But what I'm what I think I'm what I'm more worried about is guys who are from these aren't at that level and you're from a, a team that's a little bit more borderline and you're playing the game again, the cotton bowl was going to matter whether Marvin Harrison jr. Played in it or not. It still had more impact because it was two top 10 teams playing in a new year's six bowl. Like that game was still going to have real national interest. The, you know, I said before the, the, the music city bowl, the, I once covered the heart of Dallas bowl. I don't even know if that exists anymore. I'm pretty sure the foster farms bowl does not exist or at least has another name. Like, some of these are, are, are names of bowls that people maybe don't even remember. And the idea that like some of the best players in those games who are maybe day two picks would be opting out, I think there should be a, a, a remedy for that. So I'm going to jump the line here, and I'm going to go next because I, I do want to build off of that, Nathan, because what you were saying, I don't completely agree with it, but the premise of it gets into what I want to talk about, and that's revenue sharing for players. I think needs to be a thing like yesterday. Because there's a lot of money being thrown out there. And because the players are not getting a piece of that pie, that's part of the reason NIL is so crazy right now. It's not the only reason, but it's part of the reason why the NIL recruiting inducements part of this has become such a crazy world in the situations. Because why shouldn't, if Will Howard wins a national, why shouldn't he be get paid, but then also have some of the bonuses that like coaches get, right? Because coaches get bonuses for winning certain games, for playing in playoff games, for playing in bowl games, for winning national championships, for winning awards. Why shouldn't, if Marvin Harrison Jr. is a Heisman Trophy finalist, he's already getting paid, why shouldn't there be a bonus that he has on top of that? Why shouldn't the players see some of that, to, your, to the point you're talking about, Nathan, if the Ohio State makes the playoff next year, and there was revenue sharing, the players should get a part of the bonuses that these coaches get because they're the guys on the field playing to get you into the college football playoff. So this is it's a big money thing for me. It's the revenue sharing, which I think also opened up the door for, I think about the Jimbo Fisher buyout. You got bought out because you didn't do your job the way well. You got fired. And so now they have to pay you all this money. That's not a situation where like you got a better job and then the other the team you're headed to is paying your buyout when you just got fired and you get to you get paid almost a hundred million dollars to not work. And that is crazy to me. That idea has never made any sense to me. This is the and this is where like I'm at the farthest reach with the financial thing. But if you get fired, your buyout should be split amongst the players who are most impacted by the fact that 
the program just got thrown off because you didn't do your job to the right level. Uh, I'm with you to that last part. Like that, that last part's just legally not going to. Yeah, it's like, why would you sign up, that? You don't. You, I like the. Yeah, why you would know, you sign the buyout? Listen, listen, listen. I pre- I I I prefaced it with like this is where it's the most crazy part of all this, but really it's more of the focus on revenue yeah. sharing needed to be a thing like yesterday. Yeah, revenue sharing, I'm I'm down with, and that's actually a better yeah. one than I gave. I think I, I that it's, this is a better, more urgent thing than yeah. what I went with, with, with the bowl games like that, that is something that, that does need to be addressed, but it comes back to like the buyout. Why, why do the buyouts happen at the end of the day? The buyouts happening in the day, because there is a free market mm-hmm. under which coaches get to negotiate terms with the use of an agent and all those other things. Like that's why the buyouts get set in place. That's why the yeah. buyouts are eventually paid out. Players don't have that. I think if, you know, another one that actually would have been better than the one I just said would have been, and this is kind of a corollary to all this, but like if, if you, if there were uh, an organization for the players, if there could be collective bargaining, like all those things sort of come into play here. Like it, there is just such a divide between when, you know, Gene Smith can make it a priority that the Ohio state football coach is paid in the, in the top five, of the coaches in the country. Keep that salary up there. Keep that salary up there. Almost independent of results. You got to keep that salary up there. At some point, it was almost ind- independent of results. Like Ryan Day was paid something initially. And once they had success, then he jumped up to this much higher level. And now they're keeping him there, like regardless of whether they, they beat Michigan or not. So I don't, but at the same time, the player compensation in terms of the 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 academic award stays flat or just you know increases along with the normal economy and the the stipends that they get remain flat and i think people are i still have a problem with that i guess i shouldn't speak for everybody but it's like there still is a fixed market for one group of people the lion's share of the people involved and in an open market for this smaller band of people that doesn't make sense to me. I don't really know where else in American society we do that. The best example is when you have uh, the, the trades. But again, those contracts mm-hmm. are all negotiated through um, a labor union. So I don't, there, there isn't really a, they, I know people are uncomfortable. Some people are uncomfortable with how professional college sports have gotten, men's basketball and football especially, but it's been pushed there. It's not the media that's trying to drag it there. It's the spending that has taken it to that place, and that's where the inequity shows up. So I agree that there needs to be, and I think it's coming. I, I think it's inevitable at this point. At some point, it's going to be one of the other things that schools uh, or conferences or the NCAA, whoever, agrees to in order to not give up something that would be even more painful. If it keeps the employee-employer thing at bay, Maybe they start contributing uh, revenue sharing to the NIL collectives that then gets distributed to the players, something along those lines. Uh, but Charlie Baker, the NCAA president, has also talked about NIL being able to come directly from the schools eventually. So a lot of this stuff, the, 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 there's a lot of moving parts here, and the, the, the ground beneath this is going to look pretty different in a couple, three years, I think. Yeah, the this was a, this was a good one. Um, I probably, like you said, better than what I had on my list. I, I think... I just kind of looked at this as like, well, this is happening. Like this is going to happen, whether it's in two years or five years or eight years. Like I, I'm, I'm remarkably certain that this is going to happen. 
Um, you know, I, I make this case a lot. Like I think of a player like use the use the uh, the example Stephen Will Howard. Like I use the example Trace McSorley a lot. You know, Trace McSorley was a really solid quarterback in college, and they beat Penn State, or they, excuse me, they beat Ohio State in 2016. And in 2017 and 2018, you played two great games in which Penn State falls just short and they're on the map and you win a Big Ten and you win the Fiesta Bowl and you go to the Rose Bowl and you do like all these great things. And no one ever thought of him as a serious kind of NFL draft pick. Like I know, I think he's still hanging around on um, on a roster. I think he's kind of, um, you know, just kind of one of these like floaters, I think, um, when you look at kind of his career arc. But like, why shouldn't? Trace McSorley get a lot of the money from certain events like that, right? Like, why shouldn't he benefit directly? Not just like, hey, you can get an extra sponsorship deal because you took Penn State to the Rose Bowl. Why? Why shouldn't he directly be responsible or directly benefit from Penn State winning the Big Ten and going to the Fiesta Bowl or going to the Rose Bowl? Why? Sh- why not? And, and yeah, I, I, I think that I think that we're headed there. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, it, to me, it feels like a matter of time. I, I think that, um, it, it's, it's overdue. Okay. Andrew, what's your second one? Yeah. Um, this one is, is kind of big picture. Um, I think the greatest kind of concern that I have right now about college football is conference realignment. Um, so I'm sending a lot of programs back. Um, if if I get to be well, the czar of college football, I'm putting a lot of programs back kind of where they started. Um, this is very much a I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees kind of moment. But I think you look at a lot of rivalries that have gone or will go kind of by the wayside and maybe not matter as much. And I think that that's really bad for the overall health of the sport. And I think we're turning a sport that had you know, 130 odd programs in the FBS to six was a 60 or whatever in the power five. And we're kind of narrowing our focus in on 16. And, and I don't like that. And like, I don't like that Pitt and West Virginia don't play in the same conference. And I know that doesn't matter to Ohio state fans. And I know that doesn't matter to kind of the national perspective as a whole, but I, I don't think that, I don't think that that, is a good thing for the sport. I, I don't think that it's a good thing for the sport that Oregon and Oregon State have to figure out some kind of crazy arrangement so that they can keep playing. You know, I, I don't like that. I I don't like the fact that we could be headed to a future where Ohio State plays UCLA just as much as they play Michigan State. Like, I don't like that. You know, I don't like that Ohio State and Penn State aren't going to play every year because, hey, this is just what the conference realignment has brought us and I think the regionality of college football is something for me that makes it really unique and really special and I think if you go kind of program by program you will find out that not a lot of USC people care that they're going to host Rutgers and not a lot of UCLA people care that they're going to host Maryland is Ohio State and Oregon next year going to be a great helmet matchup and a game that College Game Day is there for and, you know, the fans at the Austin Zoo go nuts for? And yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a really cool game. But would is that worth it? 
Like, is Ohio State, Oregon worth it? Is UCLA or USC and Michigan worth it to give up Oregon, Oregon State and USC, Stanford and Oregon State, Washington State? Like, are some of these games worth it to give up so you can get, hey, look, we have a bunch of heavy hitters now that we can sell to a television network? I, I don't think so. So. I'm I'm pushing a lot of pieces back, kind of where where I think they belong. Um, Nebraska is not in the Big Ten; they're going back to the Big Twelve. Like, there's just a lot of matchups there that you know Nebraska should be playing Oklahoma, and you might not think of that as an Ohio State fan and be like, "Wow, this is great." But people in Lincoln, Nebraska, go ask them if they think that they should be playing Oklahoma. Go ask them if they want to play Oklahoma and see what happens. So that that I think is the big concern that I have because. I think you can still exist in a college football world with NIL and the transfer portal and a bigger playoff and all of these kind of other things if you go back to these kind of original conferences. And I'm not saying go back to the Southwest Conference. I just think there needs to be more regionality to to what we have. College football is changing, Andrew. Get with it. I don't agree with this at all. I'm for, and Nathan, maybe you don't agree with this, but I'm for what's happening right now. Every Big Ten, SEC have clearly established themselves as the two dominant conferences in college football. So there we go. Let's just get these two conferences and let's just play football. And if you want to figure it out after that and turn this into a regional thing like they do in the NFL, there's two conferences and then they have divisions. That are kind not of regional. Now, some of the no, some of the divisions are kind of weird. Yeah, like the, not, AFC, the Indianapolis Colts the and the AFC, AFC South. Yeah, the yeah, AFC South yeah. is a weird one. But a lot, most of them make sense. To be fair, most of them do make sense. If you want to do it that way, that's fine. And you just play who's ever in your pod. That's fine with me. But this, I, I'm not going backwards, Nathan. We're moving forward. Yeah, I mean, at least even the bad ideas that were mentioned before were uh, realistic. Like they could have, they could, <laughs> in theory, actually happened. Thank you. This will never ever happen. Like we're not. We're not going back to we're not sending schools back to the conferences they came from. And I suppose the one thing that is on the horizon is if you branch, if you break power five football or power four football off into its own entity, do you keep the conferences intact within that as like, you know, a pro model where there's divisions, but you do it by conference or do you then rearrange it by geography because the geography has gotten so spread out among these conferences my assumption is they will just stick with the conferences because they will the presidents of these schools will still want that alignment from top to bottom in their athletic programs that's maybe the closest chance you would have to doing something like this though and i think what the best benefit of if you were to go to this model where power five football was off by itself then for scheduling, would that then mean that you're doing all of your scheduling within just those Power Four programs, even your non-conference, right? Your non-division, whatever you want to call it. And then that would more easily open the door for some of these games to keep getting played the, of, of schools that have, have swapped conferences. You could still have Stanford against UCLA or, or whatever. But listen, like, it's just... Pac-12 is dead. I mean, it's. I guess it's on life support. It, it, it lives in a in a in a server somewhere. Like there's still a logo, but they're not really gonna survive as a as a major football entity. It doesn't look like. And 
the structure is just it's just different. Like it's and I don't think we're ever going back. So uh, it might be a thing that you miss the most about college mm-hmm. football, but I just don't think it's a thing that can be changed. But this is but this is me being the czar of college football. I can do it. I can make that. T- I can wave a wand and it can happen. That no, was the. That was fired. the. You'd be fired as the czar of college football because be all of the conferences and their presidents would, would revolt. I'll, I'll, would... T- I'll turn off firing on the little like GM setting that we do for this. You no, could no, attempt no, no, no. to move forward. By the way, I think it's it's interesting that like Charlie Baker, again the new NCAA president, came out what he did a couple months ago and and suggested a lot of things that are pretty progressive in the minds of some mm-hmm. people. And you're hearing people like Ross Bjork say, "Oh, it's about time." Thankfully, someone came out and said some of these things. We have a champion who will now lead us instead of sitting back and waiting for the NCAA to be, you know, reactionary and and hesitant. And it's time to like go do some things. And so now those things will not involve sending Nebraska back to the Big Twelve. But uh, Nebraska might want to go back to the Big Twelve at some point. <laughs> I mean, like how? Like you could argue that it was a bad decision for them to come to the Big Ten, I suppose. But I think their bottom line of their athletic department would tell you differently as well. So we're booing Andrew. We're going to take one last break, and then we're going to come back, and then Nathan's going to reveal his last thing, and then we're going to boo him there too because everybody gets the chance to get booed here. Just saying, everybody's got to get booed. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back here on Buckeye Talk. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. These are our nine ways in which we would change college football if we were in charge of the sport. We have full autonomy. That doesn't mean there's no consequences for our actions, by the way. You can throw a stupid idea out there, and we will tell you it's stupid, just like Andrew and, and I have already suffered. Get to text 614 Stephen Means, Nathan Barrett, Andrew Gillis. Nathan, what's your last thing, your last way you would change college football if you got put in charge of it? Well, as I said before, I've, I've all three of mine are taken now. The two that I said and the, <laughs> the, 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 the schedule. So – Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys all said that they were at least moderately good ideas, so there's really nothing to boo. Wow. Okay. Andrew, you got any more ideas you want to throw out there since, since Nathan's afraid of being booed by throwing out a random you, one? I already gave you the three that you asked for. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Andrew, do you have any others that you yeah, want to throw out there? So uh, the to Nathan's point earlier about, well, that's just not realistic, I, I – I, we all know my thoughts on the playoff system. And I wasn't going to say, go back to the BCS. I'm not going to do that because that's not realistic. That's not going to happen. But I do, I think the third thing for me would be we have to find a playoff system that keeps the importance of the regular season because I have some big concerns about that moving forward. And that is that is something else that I am worried about because we have kind of talked about this with the Ohio State Michigan game of hey just so happens that you lose one game it's if it's the wrong game you're out like if Ohio State had gotten stuffed against Notre Dame and they fall and Chip Trainum falls a half a yard short of the goal line and then Ohio State beats Michigan 
Ohio State's in the playoff, right? Like Ohio State's going to make the four-team field if those two results are flipped. And ask any Ohio State fan, they'd tell you that they'd have rather lost to Notre Dame than, than Michigan, obviously. Even if the Michigan win is bigger on paper, is better, or the Michigan loss, excuse me, is a better loss on paper. The team just won the national championship. So if I, I understand that, you know, you have to keep these games mattering. And the worry that I have is that you're going to lose some of that, where it's, you know, hey, Ohio State is, you know, 5-0 and going into the Oregon game. Well, you know, it, they lost to Oregon now. Okay, they're 5-1. and Who cares? Who cares? We have a bye week coming up. Can I ask you a question? Can you I ask you a question? Said, you're arguing yeah. against yourself. You just said yeah. that if they lost the Notre Dame game, who cares? They can well, just come back four, and beat Michigan so and still thing. make the playoff. In a 14 playoff, you, the Notre Dame game still kind of matters. In a 12 team playoff, the Notre Dame game, it's it's it matters way less. And the and the worry that I have about the upcoming college football slate would be Ohio State. Like I said, they lose to Oregon, and it's you know what? We can still win the Big Ten. We can still get this by. Doesn't really matter. Like I want, like I think the unique thing about college football is that the regular season is the best regular season in in any of in any sport in my mind, and that that's the NFL, that's the NHL, that's Major League Baseball, that's the NBA. I think it's the best, and I worry that if we just kind of give some of these teams a not to say free pass, but like almost like two free losses, then you're kind of just giving them in you're giving them an easier into the playoff. And I don't want that. Like I want these games to still matter. So I don't know if that's automatic qualifiers. I don't know if, I don't know how you would adjust the sliders on that, but I just don't want to have a scenario where you can lose one game and it's not a big deal. Like I think that every game mattering is what makes college football unique. And I don't want to go away from that. Why do you think people are going to stop caring about the regular season? I don't think they're going to stop college football. Of course, they're right. So why? So why do you think that's an issue for why? You just said that you hope that that doesn't happen because now you're automatic. You're in the playoff even if you lose a game. I don't know if the spirit of college football is going to go away just because we expanded the playoff. Like the technical, yeah, I'm not saying it's going to go away. How we go about finding a champion, right? So like, why are you worried about the regular season mattering less? I think fans, I think student sections, I think mm-hmm. games with 100,000-plus stadiums, I, none of that's the traditional stuff, the rivalry, all this stuff is going to be there. All we're doing is opening up the playoff field mm-hmm. for eight more teams at the end of the year, which makes the end of the season more interesting. So what? why do you think week five against – I don't know if Oregon games week five or not. I'm, week, it's I'm, their sixth game do you of think the year, that, yeah. Okay, but why do you think that game's going to matter less just because the loser still has a chance to make the playoff? Because in a in another system, the loser might not have a chance to make the playoff. Like in, like in a, like in, but What does that have to do with like but what does that have because to do with I, people I, caring I think, about the sport? Because I think that I I think that it's I think the build up for regular season games is what makes the sport unique, does it not? Like the build up for the Michigan game and the build up for a lot of these rivalry games and other kind of big time matchups is what makes the sport so unique and so great. And one of the reasons why we all love it. And the thing that I don't want is to kind of get into this NFL mindset where fans still care. Fans are still, you know, fans are still pissed. If you're a Browns fan and they lose a week eight game to the Steelers, you're still upset, but it doesn't tank your season and it doesn't. Like, it doesn't matter as much if you lose that game as compared to a game 
on Ohio State's schedule where if you lose to a certain school in a 14 playoff, where you're like, man, we might be in trouble here. Like, I think that that's really cool that your season is on the line every week. And I don't want to go away from that. I don't want to have a scenario where you get to the end of the season and it's, okay, we're 10 and 0 and realistically we're in. So it's basically just let's let's get this season out. Let's finish this season out strong, and let's get to the playoff. Who's I, gonna think? Who's gonna think like that though? What in which way? Like who is going to get to ten and zero and be like, okay, we're essentially in. Let's just get through these next. Because two games. You, yeah, you, like, and who's of gonna course brush, you're gonna want who, the number one. Who, seed. I'm saying I'm at, right. I'm no. I'm asking who is brushing that aside. I'm trying to think of in this equation here. Is it the fans? Is it the players? Is it the coaches? Is it us? No, I I think there. I no. I th- I think that there is kind of that that thought out there though because if. If you're ten and zero, if you're ten, I think I think fans, I think us will talk about it too because it's like okay, Ohio State's got to win so they can get the one seed, so they can get whatever. In another conversation, like for example, Ohio State was ten and zero this year, and we're like, you have to beat Michigan still, or the season is over. You have to win this game because this is the most important game on the schedule, and you can win this game. And and we talked about this with the Michigan game, like this was kind of the the last bastion of it all. For forget the Michigan sign stealing stuff, forget everything the last kind of this is the game that is truly going to decide your season is kind of this is it like this is the last one because of the 12 team playoff and and I don't want to go away from that because in a 10 and 0 world it can be great we're 10 and 0 we still have to we still have to win our final two games or the season is over and the previous 10 games are gone but, but the problem with your argument is you're discounting the instances and Ohio State was the one this past year where one loss in the four-game mm-hmm. playoff situation counts too much. It makes mm-hmm. the regular season mm-hmm. too significant. And part of that was the Big Ten's own lack of foresight in scrapping the divisions earlier, which other divisions, which other conferences did. And maybe if the Big Ten had just done that, we would have a different – we'd be thinking about this differently because we look through it, at it through the Ohio State lens. The other thing to remember, though, is, yes, Ohio State is one of the teams that every year is – either like 12 and one or 11 and two, like they're always in mm-hmm. that conversation. They're right. an 11 win team. And it's just a matter of when they take the one or two losses and maybe they don't take, maybe they only take one and they win a national championship or take none. Like that happens once in a while. There are a bunch mm-hmm. of teams that are now whose regular season games will mean more because of the 12 team playoff. So yes, some teams will have less value to some regular season games. For instance, the Ohio State Michigan game. It doesn't have, I wrote about this a lot as we were going and talked about it a lot as we were going into this last year's game, that there was a finality to that edition of the game that we were never going to get back. It, it, and, it, and then everything that happened with Michigan made it even more of a, like a, a, an exclamation point or a punctuation mark on a lot of things. And that's, that's, it's never going to be like that again. But for teams, you know, if you get two teams that are nine and two playing each other on the last game of the regular season – before that game was like, oh well, you maybe you still can't even get into your conference championship game. You get a slightly better bowl game if you win, or a, and a slightly worse one if you lose. Now it's for whether or not you make the playoff or not. Like that mm-hmm. regular season game just became huge, and yeah. you have to factor that in. That it's not just yes, there are some regular season games that will matter less, but I don't think it devalues the regular season across college football because it enhances the regular season for some teams. And and I even for Ohio State, I keep coming back to. There are many instances during the fourteen playoff era where a single loss keeps out a team that otherwise had national championship opportunity, sometimes a better national championship opportunity 
than teams that got into the playoff. Like you can argue very strongly, like top to bottom, who was better, Ohio State or Washington? Who even accomplished more during the regular season, Ohio State or Washington? Ohio State's big sin was losing to the eventual national championship by six points on the road with the ball in their hands. Like Washington beat uh, Oregon a couple times, but one of those was even after the regular season when they got to play them in the in the conference championship game. And it's just this was one of the best examples to me of that. Yes, there are times when the regular season will be devalued, but there are times right now where one single loss matters too much in deciding who the real best teams in the country are, and a bunch of teams going forward will have their regular seasons enhanced. I think there are more teams right now under this four-team playoff over the last decade who have lived under that guys you're talking about, Andrew, than teams that are going to live under that now. Like, when Penn State lost to Michigan, why should they keep playing football? This regular season doesn't matter anymore. They're definitely not playing for anything. When Missouri got its second loss, all those games after that mean nothing, right? By your logic, they mean nothing because they're not playing for anything anymore. Now they're still in the fight. I agree with you, Nathan. Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama before the Nick Saban thing. Maybe Ohio State and Georgia. We're going to do a tears pod very soon here. Ohio State and Georgia are probably, in, depending on what happens with Michigan, are probably the only teams I can just think of off the top of my head where it's like they lose a game and we're like, okay, well, they're still going to make the playoffs. But that just means we talk about the conversation differently. If Ohio State loses to Oregon in week, in, in the, in week six next year, we're not going to talk about it, about if they're making the playoff or not, but we're going to have conversations about what we think this team can do in a college football playoff. What do we think this team's chances of actually winning a national championship? Because Oregon, that's the level of team that they're going to place in a playoff. And if they lost to Oregon, what does that tell us about their ability to beat the rest of the field? That's how we're going to have the conversation, which is still equally as interesting as having a conversation about whether or not 15 people in a room are going to pick them to be on that stage or whatnot. But to Nathan's point, when Penn State, when Missouri, when Ole Miss, and when these teams lose their second game, especially if they lose that second game in like week six, why should they have kept playing football over the past decade? But now they have a reason to keep playing football and playing at a high level because they can be a 10 or an eight or a nine seed, and then maybe they get hot at the right time, and then they make some magic happen in the playoff. I, I, I want to say real quick, because I think I can maybe preempt what Andrew's going to say, and I because I, I, I get where he would be coming from here. I think one of the things that undercarts this argument that we're making is if you're someone who also then doesn't respect those teams being in a playoff situation. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where Andrew is, too. That, that was going to be my thing. Like, do, do we need to see Penn State play in a 12-team playoff? Did anybody think that Penn State was a top-four team in the playoff or a top-four team in the country? or a top two team in the country or a top six team in the country or a top eight team in the country? Probably not. So do we need to see that? I don't, I don't know. No, but I did think Ohio state was one of the top four teams in the country. Okay. So it was just a matter of yeah. how yeah. far do you want to expand? I would have been fine with less than 12 teams, fewer than 12. Teams. I wanted eight would have been perfect. I thought me. eight I was a okay good number. Eight. Yeah. Okay. I'd be I okay. It was a eight. good number. And really when you go to 12, yes, you're letting in four more, but you're giving the top four, the buy to what is essentially an 18 tournament, right? So that right. isn't that isn't a huge difference going from eight to twelve. You're still the top four seeds aren't more exposed mm-hmm. than they would have been uh, if it was just an 18 tournament. In fact, you could even say they're in a better situation in some ways, depending on how you feel about the layoff, because whoever they're going to play will have just played a game the previous week, gotten beat up, exposed to more injuries, however you want to say it, have to do more travel. So it's even maybe more advantageous for those top four teams in an 18 eight seed thing. Just 
I just, I still, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe I will go through this and I'll be like, oh man, I was really wrong about this. I think the 12 team tournament is going to be awesome. I love it. I think it's going to be awesome. I think there's going to be some fun upsets along the way. I think there's going to be some fun matchups. I think, again, you're not going to have, you're going to have what was the equivalent of New Year's Six Bowl games. You're going to have the equivalent of Ohio State, Missouri, except Marvin Harrison Jr. will be on the field and Kyle McCord wouldn't have transferred before that game. Like those guys are going to be playing in those games. You're going to get the best version of more teams playing more games, and that is good for college football. And also, to the point of, I mean, we're bringing up Ohio State's only sin was losing on the road to the team who ended up winning the national championship. They lost by six. So does they do they lose that game by six on a neutral field? That that's going to play a role in some of this year. It's like, well, playing at home matters, just like playing on the road matters. So. I'll end with this. I had two others that I wanted to mention. One is just more of like a technical thing. Now that we're in a 12-team playoff, reseeding every round so that if you're the number one seed, you're always playing the lowest seed. I think that should be a part of your benefit is just the reseeding of things. Um, But that's just more of a technical thing. And then the other one was because we're going to a 12-team playoff now, we got to figure out this transfer portal situation, which is another one that's difficult because this – it's it's like like I said, they're still student athletes, and so like some of this is 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 you're just put in these in these boxes because you're also dealing with academic calendars and academic windows. But that's a lot to deal with. When the Malik Murphy situation is so interesting to me because he had to, his team is in the playoff, competing to go try to win a national championship, but he cannot be there because he has to hit this window of being in the transfer portal and going to find the best place for him. Which he even said when he decided to go in the transfer portal, he put out a statement. I, that shouldn't have to be the case for these playoff teams to have to deal with that. So I, I whatever that looks like, we got to fix this transfer portal window because it, it's just it's messy when you're trying to compete for national championships while also your depth on your roster might be leaving to go somewhere else to try to get on the field. I guess you'd have to what what would be the solution to this because Malik Murphy could have stayed in Malik Murphy could have waited until Texas was done yeah. playing and then gone in the portal. He did have an extension. All the playoff guys do get an extension. Now, it's only Mm -hmm. a five-day extension, so you have less time to do it. So maybe that would, I guess, be a thing. And now that you're going to a 12-team playoff, maybe they should. it should be a longer extension. It should be a full week. It should be 10 days Mm -hmm. or something like that. I'd get on board with that. I just don't know how you move the portal window, though. It has to come after a season. So you you, Because it's guys who are making a decision between seasons. But it can't be farther than the start of January because guys are yeah. class starting. Like it is still college sports. It is still guys who go to class. So it, there's not really a way to move it too much as it relates to, if you're going to talk about that specific thing where guys whose teams are playing, maybe you could even take it as far as like, if your team's playing in the postseason at all, you get to wait until, but then coaches, I don't know how coaches feel about that. Because coaches are also going to say, yep. hey, I'm playing in a meaningless bowl. I would rather know going into that game that I don't have a guy. And then because I need to start finding his replacement in the portal. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think if you move if you move signing day out of December, I think that makes the portal more manageable. I think you can now breathe a little easier there. And it will make that. I, I, that's maybe the thing, too. If, you, if you're going to change something change the signing date first then see how things are then see if you have to tweak the portal i I think sometimes we do this and you could argue that they did this going from four to 12 with the playoff yeah but sometimes it's like 
you overcorrect. Like yeah. you could have got by with like a more incremental change and then see where we are. I think you could have argued that six teams even could have been enough for the playoff. Like just get two more spots to make sure that something like Ohio State this past year or Alabama a couple of years ago, like those teams are still worthy and get to get in and have their say. Like you're still getting the very best teams in without expanding to 12. I would listen to that. But I think so I think an incremental change is important. And I think the, the but I think the signing day is a bigger priority than the portal. But you're not no, wrong that it's it's awkward. It, yeah, it, it's and it's the thing that I don't. You got to find a way to make it as less awkward awkward as possible, and I'm not sure how you would do that because it's a weird window to try to hit. And the other thing I mentioned was, I don't know if you go and limit it with the assistant coaching staff, but maybe you can expand it to 15 just for the sake of. Uh, and, and maybe that's through the Ohio State lens because I've been talking about the how that's been a conversation for a while, and it hasn't happened yet. But I would extend it to 15. Uh, assistants who could be on the field and potentially be on the road because that might help some of this stuff out right if there's some extra coaches who are just on the road and it's like hey this guy this is the guy who's on the road and like other guys can be focusing on football parts of this avenue just uh yeah you know. this this one i think might be tied to if they if they split power four off mm-hmm. or at least the reason i think they were going to make it they were going to make no cap was because then it's 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 one of those weird things. Like if I think if you go to fifteen, then I think every program feels pressure to have fifteen. If you go to no cap, then there's there's programs who can afford to add twelve. There's programs who can afford to have twenty, and yeah. they can make that decision. And I think if you were going to make it a hard and fast number, you might have to do it within the guise of the power four separate structure because then all, you know all those teams can afford it. Yeah, that's fair. So those are our ideas of things that we would potentially implement if we were the czar, the commissioner, the the chancellor, president of college football. Hopefully some of those you agreed with. Some of them you're probably booing as you're listening to this, Bob. But get to text 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial, 399 after that for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis. I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. 